Welcome to a Words, Beats, and Life podcast. This episode features the Beautifully Uncomfortable Discussion Series. Thank you so much for joining us tonight for the first episode of Beautifully Uncomfortable. We are really excited to have you join us tonight as part of Words, Beats, and Life inaugural um, talk show on Beautifully Uncomfortable. I have an esteemed panel of guests that I'm just trying to make sure is here with me tonight. You are tuning in to uh, your preferred channel, but you can watch this on Twitch TV, the Words, Beats, and Life channel. You can also watch this live via the Words, Beats, and Life Facebook page, and you can also catch this via the Words, Beats, and Life homepage, wblinc.org. We are just making sure everyone is here with us this evening. Wonderful. Here we go. And here are our wonderful panelists tonight. Um, we'll have everyone sort of go around the, the table and, enjoy, and introduce themselves. Um, but again, this is the first episode of Beautifully Uncomfortable. Um, this episode is focused on gender and hip hop and creating safe spaces. So we're joined by our panelists. Let's go around uh, the room, sort of, I guess, in order of, of how people are on my screen. Chris Carr, let's get, yeah, let's get started with you. Introduce yourself to, to the team. What's up, everybody? How you doing? My name is Chris Carr. My rap name is Stonehenge Parnhashnikovsky. You say it how you spell it, spell it like you say it. Uh, I'm the only one out here. That's why I have that name. Uh, Chris Carr is not the most unique name. Uh, I've been making hip hop for over two decades. I know Flex Matthews. I know Mozzie. I know the folks from Words, Beats, and Life, RBI, from when I lived in D.C. I grew up in D.C., lived in Atlanta, lived in New York. Uh, me and a homie Ty, we were in a group called Rosetta Stone. We did a lot of shows, Capital City Records back in the day, uh, around 2007, 2008. I'm not going to say this is for sure, for sure, but I think we threw and performed at more shows than any other artist in D.C. in the year or two we were pushing down there. Then I moved up to New York. I've been in Brooklyn uh, since then, since 2008. I run Brooklyn Wildlife, uh, Blackland Ownership. You know, got a lot of things going on. I'm a huge hip hop fanatic and music fanatic and art fanatic and person that cares about cultural productions uh, and society and people. So any questions, hit me up. I never know how to speak about myself. You know, we'll get there. That was a wonderful opening for someone that doesn't. And yes, I can attest to all the wonderful things that, that you have been a part of. So thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Marcus, why don't you introduce yourself? You're an esteemed co-host this evening, I feel like. So I don't even, me calling myself a host in your presence is funny to me, but yes. Oh, you're, you're, you're far too kind. Uh, <laughs> my name is Marcus K. Dowling. I am a native Washingtonian. I'm a journalist. Uh, for the last 13 years, I've written for publications, including uh, Vice, Vibe, Rolling Stone, The Fader. I uh, will see the Washington City Paper. I've been quoted in Billboard, Wall Street Journal, uh, all over the map. And obviously, I'm a hip hop fanatic, uh, very well versed in the genre, and I'm proud to be here. Thank you so much for that wonderful intro. And I know some of our guests are having a little bit of technical difficulty, so I want to give an opportunity for them to to sign in. But in the meantime, I thought maybe we might share a little bit. Um, oh, there oh, she is. Skyhook is here. Yes, wonderful. 
And we can hear you perfectly. Um, why don't you introduce yourself um, for our, our viewers today? Um, my name is Sky. I am on Shade 45 Series XM on the world famous Wake Up Show with King Tech, Sway, and DJ Revolution. Um, I break independent artists um, almost every week. I'm a former editor of AllHipHop.com. I'm a former editor of the Urban Daily for Radio 1, back when it was still Radio 1. And uh, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. I feel like this is such an important and timely conversation at all times, but I feel like no more than now when uh, questions around uh, gender and safe spaces and, and just in general, especially in our political landscape, have been of, of the uh, important topic du jour. So I wanted to sort of start with a, a definition um, around what it what it means to be a safe space. And so we pulled a definition for safe spaces to um, at which it says it was a place or an environment in which a person or category of people can feel confident that they will not be exposed to discrimination, criticism, harassment, or any other emotional or physical harm. Now, in, in your opinions, um, and, and we can go around sort of if anyone's particular wants to answer this question or we want to do a round robin on this. But in your your specific opinion, has hip hop been able to provide that? I'll start. Uh, I'll say that hip hop from the beginning, I mean, the, the, the meaning of the cipher was to be able to create safe space for artists to be able to best express themselves. Uh, hip hop has always attempted to be communal, which for something to be communal, intrinsically means that it's supposed to be a safe space. But I will say that the, uh, the, the, the male aggression that is so endemic to what hip-hop is as a genre uh, sort of limits the ability for all to feel that safeness, uh, especially given that, you know, like, there are now in this era, there's so many top-tier female MCs that is oftentimes intriguing to me that in order to find safety within the space, they have to aggrandize themselves in a way that traditionally men have in the uh, history of uh, hip hop. Yes, that's actually a really important, I think, dialogue to have. And Chris or Skyhook, do you want to add to that? Uh, no, <laughs> no, it's not a safe space. Not a safe space. Yes, and I can't address. I mean, like any of my homegirls that we go to a show, you know, my wardrobe is my my wardrobe is jeans, sneakers, t-shirts, just like the guys, just so I'm taken seriously at work. Mm -hmm. No, it's not a safe space, and it hasn't tried to be a safe space for women. Let's just keep that about it. It's never tried to be a safe space for women. Mm It is what it is, though. It's implied. You already, you know, you come into the realm, you already know what it is. So you have to work around it. But yeah, no, it's never tried to be a safe space. So uh, trying to keep the conversation in a way I can understand, right? I like to establish maybe scope of discussion. So if we're talking about a macro historical realm, right? Mm-hmm. Is anything ever safe, right? Why do humans believe we are ever safe or that there's any space where a large group of people will have common understanding. If you go to church, that should be a safe space. But if you aren't part of that faith, it's not safe. People have been killed over religion, but people also come together over religion. Why is hip hop held to a different standard, right? Now, on the other hand, 
I totally agree on this idea of if, like Marcus was saying, hip hop was carved out, it was this niche that's supposed to be for young people, black and brown, people in urban areas, and it became safe for certain members of the community, why wasn't it safe for all of us in those communities? So I also agree with Sky, where it's like, hip hop didn't try to be safe for everybody. Part of when I got introduced to hip hop, if you were whack, you might end up getting in fights. If you couldn't write graffiti and you were out bombing, you might get beat up in the train yard. You know, the, yeah. the, the level of maleness and aggression and violence associated with youth is a danger in hip hop. But on the other hand, hip hop ciphers were the first place I was with young black men sharing emotions and depth and talking about our lives in a freestyle with people I never met. And in some of those ciphers, women were ruling it. Like when I moved to, to DC, Ben and Moe's, I think was the show and Laura and her homegirl were doing the show. So there were women who dictated the space. Now right. again, were there a whole lot of dudes in that space? Yes. So I think it's, it's a complicated issue. And as an event planner, I know that there are people who care about creating spaces that are safe for trans, for women, for queer folks, for non-traditional kind of marginalized groups in hip hop. So I also can say hip hop never cares. Because yeah. hip hop is, is made up of all the constituent parts. But I know what Sky is saying to where, you know, historically hip hop didn't care. You know, I so it's a difficult conversation in a way. Layered, yes. And nuanced, it sounds like, also. So thank you all for commenting. I know we were in the middle of that. We were joined by Brooklyn the Kid. Um, we did some intros. I wonder if you could just sort of briefly introduce yourself for us this evening and, and respond to maybe for you what safe spaces have looked like. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's your girl, Brooklyn the Kid. Hello, everybody on the on the panel with me. I appreciate uh, being a part of it and and uh, being able to have this discussion is, is, is big. So applaud to everyone here because I assume everyone here is for uh, being being okay with whoever's in the room in the safe. So I appreciate y'all. Um, creating safe space. I, to be honest with y'all, I'm from the DMV mm-hmm. and I have mm, no anything bad to say, to be honest with you about the DMV. Uh, maybe I just lucked up. Maybe I just had a uh, fortunate to have my surroundings that were Everybody, for the most part, has been super accepting. I've seen diversity in this hip-hop industry like I've never seen before. I think, yes, in the past, certain things weren't as welcoming welcoming as they are now. But I have to say, hip-hop has definitely evolved to a whole different animal now. Uh, It used to be for just black and brown bodies. Um, now I see everybody. I see anybody doing it. And so, I mean, yeah. a part of us, a part of us like, yo, this is dope. Um, but we also have to respect the foundation of where it came from and where and why it came from uh, and why we do it now, I think. Um, yeah. But as for safe spaces now, honestly, I've I've been very fortunate, uh, including working with hip hop. Um, with hip hop leaders around the community, shout out to Flex. Uh, I, I've even done a show with you uh, as yeah. well, and um, yeah. it was rocking. And it was uh, it was uh, it was very even with women and men. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just a sport. Hip hop, I see it as a sport, and and any sport, male, women, whatever you want to identify as, people get competitive, and I think that's just a competitive sport, and it just happens to be aligned with masculine things i think 
Yeah. But I think that's changing. I think women want to compete too. So it just, it's changing. I think it's changing. And I think spaces are being created uh, that weren't there before. Uh, and I can, and, and I know that that is facts because I see people who were there prior to me being there and yeah. what they tell me and what they tell me, or oh, wasn't like this back then. It wasn't like that back then, but now there's, it, there is, it, it, it is now it is. I yeah. was starting to be, I would say now. Yes. Thank you for sharing that background. I think, um, and, and Marcus, you set this, this topic off, I think especially well with talking about sort of the historical context around, um, the, the culture, but in terms of, there's been a lot of conversation and bringing up sort of this aggressive masculinity or, um, aggrandizing sort of roles and, and, and these sort of gender roles that, that we've seen in hip hop in terms of, does it seem like it's almost a pre requisite now to sort of sell records or to be popular um, that you have to sort of be as aggressive um, to achieve those those types of uh, accomplishments as do you do you see any any um, reference to that in in cultures right now oh yeah for sure I think that the the, ma- the major issue at play when you talk about hip-hop is its commercialization I think that ever since the late 80s when like uh, Priority Records started selling NWA records from Los Angeles across the country mm-hmm. in indie retailers, you started to see the money rise in hip hop. And when you take people that are already criminalized and you take people that are already come from surroundings where they are have nots and you introduce them to vast sums of income. Yeah. Number one, you want to protect that income Finding means necessary. And number two, you want to see more of it coming, which creates inherent competition. Mm-hmm. And then from there, because of the nature of hip hop being battling other MCs verbally, that conversation turns aggressive in an unusual sense because now you're not talking about being the best rapper in your block or the best rapper in your city. You're talking about being the best rapper with a financial bottom line attached that is anywhere from hundreds of thousands, hundreds of millions of dollars, which changes the entire tenor of the conversation about hip hop. And you basically conflate hip hop with country music or rock and roll or dance music or anything that makes hundreds of millions to billions of trillions of dollars every year. If hip hop remained a genre where locally it was allowed to help people thrive within their community, and to create community pride and self-pride and self-awareness and community awareness, we wouldn't be having this conversation. But at the second that you know, you start to look at this thing becoming inter-global commerce or intra-global commerce, then it's a whole different thing. And you're explaining the meaning of what it originally was and you're turning into a brand new, different kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Of course, you're looking like you have a, a, a response though. Sky, go ahead, Sky Hook. I totally agree with him. I totally agree with him. I think the commercialization of what people want to purchase the culture is the first problem. Um, yeah. The culture of hip hop is not rap music and people don't seem to understand those are not mutually exclusive. Um, mm-hmm. There are a lot of um, problems. I mean, let's just keep it a bucket. We're telling the truth. There's problems with culture vultures within our realm and they're prevalent and they're mm-hmm. all the time. 
Um, and we still haven't figured that part out. Who to welcome, who to not. It's still our culture at the end of the day. Hip hop is still us. It's still our birthright. Um, mm-hmm. at the, at, so there's that part. And then when you have the, the um, hip hop as a commodity, he's right. He's 100% right. You know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. who, who's, who's, sale, who's for sale? And, and how much is their hip hop soul worth? That's really where it started. And it's only gotten worse since then. Um, are there redeeming qualities? Absolutely. The redeeming qualities are in the music and in the lyrics and how mm-hmm. the music makes you feel. What you're choosing to listen to is up to you. Um, right. I, I agree about the competitiveness part of what makes it fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> stay all the time. <laughs> Hip hop is a blood sport. Not everybody's going to make it out of the ring. That's just what it is. But that's Very what true. you got to love about it. If you don't love that part of it, I don't know what you're doing here. The worst place ever for you if you don't like that. Yeah. I mean, to that, Chris, I wonder if you could add just uh, speaking and kind of giving a perspective on this topic and then add in the fact that, like, this kind of pseudo democracy that we kind of have now with streaming and being able to sort of this democratic process of creating music now puts music in creators' hands in a way that is not so much the commodification is now happening at a very micro level. Like, can you share a little bit about that too? Well, I, I, this is such a huge kind of topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, you're, I have like five trains of thought going. One gets back to the Socratic and Platonic, Platonic idea of are people moved by the passions, by violence, by sex, and without mm-hmm. thinking. And is theater, is drama, have tragedies, comedies historically relied upon the reptilian animal part of the brain. And so is anything different now than it's ever been? So theoretically, there's that argument. And like there's a, a book, Georgius, where they talk about the power of the poet to influence people mm-hmm. and the danger with that, because uh, people confuse reality with the reflection of reality. There's this idea of simulacrum. And when you have people who aren't about the culture, who aren't from the culture, but own and get to reflect the culture, do we lose meaning? Do we lose reality? Are we living in a world of the hyper real to where we're getting a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy of a bad picture presented as reality of what whether it's youth culture is, black culture, mm-hmm. womanness, whatever have you. Um, then along with that is I fully agree in what happens when a commodity becomes more important than culture. And when people realize it's easier to sell tropes than to sell what people really go through. And in America, the trope of violent black male is easy to sell to people, even to black people. But mm-hmm. this idea of you meet, I, I work with young folks like in a high school. And I remember my, before I did, my friends were like, well, these young people make music that reflects their lives. I go into high school and I start asking these young folks, is this 6 9 reflect what y'all go through? And they start laughing. They're like, no, that dude's a clown. It's funny. We like it. But we know that's not our lives, you know? But there's somebody in the office saying, this is what the streets want. They don't live anywhere near the streets. They've never been in the streets. And they're saying this. So there's that disconnect. And then there is also, I think, how do you manage marginalized voices in highly competitive spaces. So when we look at hip hop, it's not super friendly. I had to elbow my way into the cypher. When I met Flex and when I met uh, C's Mike's, Laura's first thing was like, oh, that's C's Mike's, that's Flex. You end up battling them tonight and, and to move. And we were the four people in the finals. They came out my neck the first day I met them. But there was also this understanding of that's for the battle. When we get off stage, what's up? And now we friends decades later. But if I was part of a marginalized group, 
I saw C's Mike say certain things that a woman performer, or if I was a woman, I'd be like, I'm not coming back here. I don't want to have this dude rapping about my period on stage. But he was trying to win the battle. And she was saying whatever she needed to say about him to win the battle. But how do you manage that when we know that there's been an imbalance of power and an imbalance of structure historically? And how do we then create spaces in this competitive world? Uh, so y'all, y'all got me thinking so many different things already. Yeah. Uh, but I, I love this conversation. And with the streaming, I don't know if it actually democratizes everything. It makes it to where before you knew me, if I had my CD, I'm touring and I'm opening it up for Stage Francis. I'm opening it up for Dose One. I'm opening it up mm-hmm. for a bus driver. You know what you're going to get from me. You know the sound quality of my CD is going to be from us recording in my homie studio. You know, JP's giving you something different. We're in different arenas. Well, now I'm on Spotify right next to Jay-Z, right next to Rock Marciano, right next to every other artist in the world. How do I stand out without a million dollar budget? So in a way, it's democratized. But in another way, I lose ability to be me. I'm now fighting with every other product being sold. Uh, and I'm not a fan of streaming. I'm saying F those companies. These bands are billionaires paying us 0.0000% of a penny while they on vacation at South by Southwest. They getting paid to go to South by and we can't even get into the Spotify house, you know, but that's another story. Yeah, Brooklyn, the kid, I, I, I saw you sort of aiming it in part of this conversation. Did you have something to add to that as well around um, what the just sort of the construct I think that we're talking about now and hold up mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I apologize to interrupt you who who are the gatekeepers hmm. who who who's deciding this yeah who raps got- now who raps now I know you do miss I know you rap something mean Sky Mrs. Sky never heard you rap quite yet but I assume you rap no no what do no, you do I'm on the radio Oh, you're on the radio? So you're kind of, kind of there. No, actually, I, I'm not. I'm not. You'd have nah? To be you, if you, do you know what the wake-up show is? Do you know the no, iconicness of the wake-up show? Not yet. Not yet, ma'am. Not yet. Learn about the wake-up I'm feeling it, though. I'm feeling it. i some of your favorites, and it's been around since late 80s, and it was started by Sway and King Tech as as almost children and their whole legacy is to to um find the diamonds in the rough the dope ones the spitters okay. so no hun i'm not one of the gatekeepers even a little bit okay 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 so uh, but my question still kind of remains like who who decides who's legitimate who's in it for cheese who's a rat like how how do we know how how can I as especially because I'm I'm a I, I, I'm I assume a little bit younger, maybe than some of y'all. My question is, how do I keep it authentic? How could I keep it a hundred then? How do I know which oh, artist I know? Oh, who, oh, who, oh, who oh, oh relate. Go Marcus. Go Marcus. Yeah, I'll Marcus, jump in here. I'll jump in here with a later story. Um, <laughs> so last year, um, <laughs> Nas and No Name. Actually, not Nas. It was um, J. Cole and No Name. Yes. Had a beef. Yeah, yeah. And Jermaine Cole happens to be, like, you know, a, a fairly significant, at this point, you know, like, mid-level mainstream artist. Mm-hmm. And he, he said some things uh, during the Black Lives Matter movement that rubbed No Name, who is an independent artist that people know can rap really, really well. Right. 
Like, such things are rubbed her the wrong way. And so as a low-level artist that people know can rap really, really well, you get, like, one shot to, like, pierce the mainstream. You don't get, like, 12 shots. You get, like, one. Uh, and Speak the Sky Hook, like, you, you know this, because five years ago, ten years ago, you used to give these people, like, 25 shots. But because the economics of hip-hop are so different now and everything's kind of, like, leveled up a notch, if you're uh, just somebody who raps well, you get one shot. The moment that that really kind of like encapsulates the thing about like gatekeepers and what happens when you give somebody an opportunity, you have to take an inch to get a mile, is no name almost ether J. Cole's entire career in 70 seconds on song 33. Like, and it's the best example of where we're at now. Like, an artist that used, an artist that could rap well used to be able to get a hundred million opportunities to rap really, 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 really well. And then they make it signed to a label like Raucous and have like a successful independent underground career. But again, because hip hop and rap culture are the, are like the lingua franca of the world. Like now, if you're just a dope rapper, you get one shot. Right. One, not 25, one. And it's then in 70 seconds, which is incredible. And then after that, even deeper, people were so stunned by her success and to tie this back to our, na- our conversation about gender, she's a, you know, she's not like a five foot two inch, 118 pound woman. She's neither one of those things, you know, and that doesn't play well in the mainstream. So she almost ethered a guy who the, the industry looks at as a guy who's a player. And within weeks, she was apologetic about it. Within weeks. She was frustrated about it because the second that she did what she was supposed to do as a dope rapper, the industry was like, oh, we can't let the gate open for you for this reason, 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 this reason. Right. Yeah. And it's a frustration because hip hop, we tell people, is this ecumenical open like in Brooklyn what you were talking about like this open ecumenical thing where everybody can rap and everybody's allowed in the room yes but if you want to make money doing this which on some level past the like feel good of hearing a dope rap that makes you feel like empowered as a person has to be part of it if you wish to take yourself professionally it changes the entire meaning of the conversation about what hip hop ultimately is. Which, to tie this back again to women, when the, when the industry is controlled by 75% men, and especially older black men, like I'm 42, so these people are like 10 years older than me. Right. They're not gonna open the door for a woman. They're just not. It's not a culturally acceptable notion. You have to be That's able right. to do like 12 different things and well in order to get into certain spaces just to be taken seriously just yeah. to be on the same level as them isn't that crazy and it's that's what you're saying marcus you're 100 again you're 100 percent. it's like the difference between jay-z and pharaoh Monch. well yeah so that's right. a, yeah exactly and pharaoh were on the same <laughs> level in the year 2000 they were at the same level in the year 2000 and because of jay's ability to like use mainstream industry connects and everybody and and if you go back even deeper to history Jay-Z was an underground rapper for years. Say it. Right. 
And does that now complicating that? I mean, I'm just thinking about like we're we're sort of getting on sort of gender capitalism a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I mean, this is sort of a cultures, you know, sort of mirror mirror each other. And so you think economically, oh, at large, you know, sort of a microcosm of what we are going through at large, where gender is already, uh, or I'm sorry, income is already, you know, sort of unbalanced um in gender and how many more women are in debt than men um you know, just you know, all of those kinds of things that come up in play look at look we just saw the salt and pepper um bio bio yes right? yeah okay yeah so let's think about that from about 86 if you count all the roxanne battles a little bit earlier right yeah, yeah. around in there yeah when answers to utfo come forward right Yes. To, I'm not even sure, maybe I'll say early 2000s. Look how many powerful, strong, intelligent women we heard from regularly with empowering messages, right? Mm -hmm. Somewhere, somebody in one of those offices decided it would be easier and cheaper to market sex instead of these big mouth bars. Right. So Latifah goes away, light goes away, some Papa go away, they age out, right? They have birthed yeah. all these other girls underneath them. We never hear from them. And now everybody's naked. <laughs> mm. Everybody's just naked. Where there used to be lanes. Everybody had their own lane. Now we don't hear from the big mouth girls hardly anymore, ever. Right. And it's just naked. How naked can we get you? And then when we get you so naked that there's nothing else to see, we discard you and throw you away and find some other girl who's got a little bit of clothes on until we can curve to that same spot. This is the new reality. And nobody wants to say that, but that's just the truth. It's like, why? We can see, we know what we're looking at. It's the same. Ask Trina how she feels right now. Ask her. Right. To, to, to piggyback on on the she initial is question, beside herself. Ooh. Look how much she put out there. You're Look referring to Nikki or Tr- Trina or both, yeah. right? Or all? I mean, yeah. Oh. <laughs> so, can't, so, can't stand us anymore. <laughs> so, you to, know what I'm saying? Like it's it became yeah. this thing where it was like we're not going to invest in these women with voices anymore. Forget sisters with voices, SWB. Get out of here. We don't want that. <laughs> right? We want to hear from these girls who, some of these chicks, let's be honest, y'all, they can't rhyme, they can't rhyme their way out of a paper bag. Mm-hmm. But they'll do what's necessary to be on the stage. And that's where we are. By not recognizing that, you do a disservice to every woman who kicked the door in before her. But we gotta, we gotta, we, God told you what do you think about Lil Kim? To to real real, real quick, uh, just just to to address your first question, Brooklyn. We said, who are the gatekeepers nowadays? Yeah, there, there is a time period where hip hop was so nascent and so young that no one really wanted to deal with it, and so you had to dig, you had to care about it, you had to put your own money up, you had to plan your own tours. Then some money came in, and some, and, and don't get me wrong, the first single was fabricated. The, there was a, a woman who saw hip hop in real life and was like, we need to get records on this stuff and get in the Olivia game. Olivia Robinson. 
All right. So I'm not one of those hip hop was ever all pure. When you look at the early busy B was in a limo talking about doing cocaine and hooking up with girls in the early eighties. Right. It was right. About, all, but there was also the message, you know, uh, but <laughs> when you think about gatekeepers, there were five or six different hip hop magazines. There was double XL. There was a source. There was vibe. There was scratch. There was da da da. How many yeah. actual hip hop magazines are around now? Hmm. We talk about how many actual hip hop writers are around now. Exactly. Right. And, and, and where, I mean, we have, uh, yeah, Marcus, I mean, and so to tie this into the gatekeepers with consolidation of media, Brooklyn. That's where you start seeing the gatekeepers then have more power, even though they're less of them. And so it looks like, well, you can put out your music any way you want. Ebro has already explained, if you're not on a major, you're not getting on radio. If you ain't on radio, you're not getting certain sponsorship deals, period. The money flows in a certain direction, right? And you start seeing then, even at radio now, the same company that's based out of Indiana owns all the stations instead of local radio dictating local music or local business practices, local community dictating the reflection of that local community, right? And so... I, there is both exist to where now you don't have to go through a label. You can do it indie. But if you want to get your music into Spider-Man, you're going through certain channels. And those gatekeepers are even fewer. And now you're talking about Disney. And do the people at Disney or Marvel understand what we go through? Where I live in Bushwick? Probably not. They out in Culver City. They out in whatever part of California. They might be international. Now, again, this is a new. Universal Records was owned by Vivendi, which is Louis Vuitton Hennessy. And that's the French company telling cash money records where black music needs to be. So this isn't new, right? But something is different, and I totally agree with Sky, where Miss Melody was a rapper next to KRS-One. You know what I'm saying? Now, there was also an issue where Real Roxanne and Roxanne Chante, they got thrown under the bus for their womanness when the dudes started battling each other. So it was never, I'm never saying it was right, but at least... I can name four or five different women that rap in different ways back in 1986 and 85. Right now, I can name a bunch of female or, or, or women that rap, but I'm into the no-name rappers. I'm in, I'm like the actual no-name. I think no-name's dope. I'm into Rhapsody. I'm into, um, you know, uh, Lioness. I'm into Psalm, uh, uh, Psalm 1. Yeah, Psalm 1, yeah. And Absolutely. There was space for all that. You know what I'm saying? And right now, I'm not seeing the space being carved out for the multiple presentations of blackness, let alone black womanness, let alone all the intersectionality. Yeah, which I mean, I was going to get to that point too. I think we are having a very sort of, um, I think, conversation that focuses highly on sort of the sort of women and and men in hip hop. But what about sort of thinking about you know spaces where where queer identities are welcomed and all the other intersectionality around MB voices and now that being a very much a growing audience and thinking about. I mean, I'm thinking of someone like Young Ma. Um, or Young M.A., um, Sky, and you and you referencing sort of the ideas around sexuality and, and presentation and that Young M.A. does actually very much does that, but does it from sort of this male imagined kind of fantasy space? Um, does that sort of make a difference, you think? I think that the thing about Young M.A. that's fascinating is the fact that she got the cosign from 50 Cent straight out of the gate. Mm-hmm. Um Underground, most people don't realize it, but if you're talking about like 
hip hop as a club culture, hip hop as like a thriving underground culture. Queer party promoters have had a long, 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 long standing role in yeah. the development of hip hop. So Queen Latifah and Moni Love are two great queer rappers. To keep it a bean. Like, and they were allowed to thrive in music because of the crowds they were able to draw when they were independent artists because they could stand in front of their queer friends mm-hmm. and pack a room. And it just so happened they were all great rappers, but at right. the same time, there's something that's baked in with that. And even like to get to what about Young M.A., when Young M.A. came out, the first guy that co-signed her was 50. And this is 50 Cent who has questionable mor- morality on numerous levels. <laughs> right. But when it came to co-signing somebody who was dope, 50 knows, like, oh, okay, so she can actually rock a crowd. And she actually right. has a built-in fan base. And it might not be your fan base if you're, you know, independent rising artist X out of the Bronx or whatever, but he knew. And the thing that I also enjoy about her as an artist is that she doesn't keep it, she doesn't make it flowery. She doesn't make it overproduced. She doesn't make it like overwrought. Mm. It's very raw. It's very hyper masculine in the sense that it's doing this kind of like butch lesbian culture aping thing, which ties exactly into again, the very demographic that has had a long, 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 long storied history. Of course, always under wraps, but still very much baked into the culture of hip hop. Yeah. I, I wonder, Chris, I just wanted to sort of, because you mentioned someone and someone recently did a op-ed and on Medium where she talked about her experience as being sort of the first queer black woman on Rhyme Sayers and we for those that don't know Rhyme Sayers has had uh, been brought to the spotlight and kind of the carpet now for a number of grievances filed against them in relation to sexual discrimination sexual assault a number of different things how does how would you sort of um, think about framing what that experience has been for for artists that are dealing with I mean very much a label that has not been responsive to their personhood. So, so I think uh, building off of what Sky and Marcus have already somewhat mentioned is, and tying it into this gatekeeper thing is the idea of what makes men uncomfortable. Are men uncomfortable with queer women, straight men, straight black mm-hmm. men? Historically, not so much. Yes. Yeah. Historically, straight black older men may not support or be champions, but they're kind of like. Young and May still fills a role I like. She dresses the way I like. She says the thing. She uses the lingo the way I like. Are they comfortable with Mickey Blanco? Are they comfortable with uh, Mickey Blanco and, and artists like that? Are they comfortable when uh, Frank Ocean came out and how people responded to that? How did it change? Frank Ocean had been killing it, you know? And all of a sudden, people had different perspectives. Now, on the underground, though, I have a weird perspective because, like, I used to shoot for all hip hop. I used to work with the source. I, you know, I've, I've did mainstream. Like, I was, I was at summer jam type of stuff. So, mm-hmm. in those arenas, I see it being hyper masculine, not super open to queerness. You can hear the lyrics of all the rap dudes who say stuff about you this, you that. If you, you know, S my D, all this other type of stuff. But yeah. on the indie world, 
I've been doing shows and organizing shows in Brooklyn to where mad queer people rap and are supported and get the backing, but they don't get the push to the next level. When they walk in the office, then you got people sitting in the office who like, we don't know how to market that. We got five different tropes. We know how to market. We know the magazines are sent to. We know the writers are sent to. We don't know how to market you. You dress funny. You look funny. You sound funny. And those people then can't be themselves and have to either hide how they are or figure out a way to do it on an indie level. And even in indie spaces, like on Rhyme Sayer, I, I, I like a lot of the artists that came out, but even when we looked at Def Jooks, there was a problem that on Def Jooks, it looked like a whole bunch of white rappers that used Kemutau and some other black rappers to, and, and Vastair and Cannibal Ox to legitimize the white boy rap thing. With Rhyme Sayer, Slug is multi-ethnic, what have you, but Rhyme Sayer started looking like there's a lot of white boy rap stuff out of Minneapolis and out of the Midwest. Where does a black woman fit into that? And a queer I, black woman at that? I you know, know Crystal. I actually know someone. I was one of the first people to break her, like in a yeah. mm-hmm. And um, it's heartbreaking. If you know her actual story, she's brilliant. She is absolutely brilliant. She's like some sort of crazy, um, not crazy, but um, I can't even remember what the term is, but she's a scientist. Like she walked away from lots of money <laughs> to yeah. do this in a space to help educate kids and sisters. And it's disgusting. It's yeah. hurtful that her voice misses because of the things, the shenanigans. I have always been upset about that. I will always be upset about that because she's 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 a voice that should have been heard from much, much more than she was. She deserved it, especially given everything she gave up to be in this right. space and to be an amazing voice within this space. And, um, you know, as it, as it pertains to gatekeepers, I'm uncomfortable with the term gatekeeper. There are people who will say, apply that to me and I get really uncomfortable about it because I'm looking for what makes my hip hop heart happy, okay? What, yeah. what are you saying? How are you saying it? it am I an elitist? Sure. I, look, I'll grab my backpack from across the room if you want me to. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to apologize for wanting quality and, and within the culture. Mm-hmm. One of the things that drives me crazy more than anything is sitting on Clubhouse right now, um, listening to artists on a daily basis and hearing the same song over and over <laughs> over and oh, did I say over and over yeah. again? It's the same thing. And it's not even, it's not even flowing, y'all. It's blue, clue, slew, flew, too. Those all rhyme. Blue, right. Blue, 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 did not rhyme. They're chanting. They're not rhyming. But if the art is rhyming, you should be able to rhyme. We're not even at kindergarten rap to me. We're right. talking about, yeah. I learned even trying to rhyme. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you want me to say, well, let me put it on. Let me say this is relevant. Let me say this is significant. Let me say, what? where's the artistry in it? If everything sounds like everything else, how do I find what's special? Right. How do you stand out in a space where everybody sounds exactly the same? You're dressing the same, you're doing everything the same. Well, when we were coming up, that was the wackest thing you could ever do was bite off of somebody else. Yeah, big faux pas. It to be in. You know, oh, but I oh. still look for that eclectic thing, that special thing. I have, I do the end of the year list every year. This year mm-hmm. I had 15 artists from other countries that weren't even speaking English. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they said, but they damn sure said it. And 
it was dope. I don't know why. I don't know what they said. I just know that it was amazing, whatever it was. And it was special and it was different. And if that means that we're now in a space where we're leaving this country to find something eclectic that sounds different from everything else. But are, are, are we le- I, I add to that I mean Marcus you you feel free to dig into this yeah, no I wonder like for people we've been talking about underground and independent sort of artists and artistry and how they you know is it a responsibility I think in Brooklyn maybe you brought up a bit of this up with gatekeeping is there, there a responsibility for all of us as sort of curators and and in the space to be able to excavate that which is below the surface to ensure that you know there are people that very much are are living by that that ethos of, of delivering great rhymes, creating wonderful flows, having great beats. Like what, how do those voices get amplified? I always take it back to Karis one who said, uh, hip hop is what you live and rap is what you do. So <laughs> we've gotten to the point where the thing where we live is far more valuable to people than the thing that we do. So you have to like be very conscious when you're thinking about what a great rapper is or looks like. And remember that the bars actually still matter. Like I have this argument with my friends about Megan Thee Stallion all the time. Say what you will about Megan Thee Stallion, but she at least- She can rap her face off, I'm with you. She can rap her entire face off. She can rap the dictionary backwards. So I'm like, right. So there's value in what she's doing as compared to like Cardi B, who's still learning how to rap. Right. I mean, she's been a rapper for less than 10 years. It's true. So there's something yeah. to that. But the reason that party works is because the lifestyle that she promotes is so expensive. Yeah. You know, you put her in a latex outfit and drip her in, you know, pearls and jewels and, you know, like diamond rings. And it looks opulent and fascinating and can sell anything to anybody. Yes, you're yeah. right. You're right. And you're bringing up some things that I think have been a, a trend in the fact that hip hop is a cultural product. And, and it's like whether it's the dance, the art, the graffiti, the fashion, the vocals, the DJing, the technology that had to be developed to make hip hop. Um, but rap is a commodity that's bought and sold. And it needs to be packaged and put on a shelf for certain people to make money. Now that shelf is a digital shelf or now that shelf is how to get it placed in movies or on TV or associated with other brands like Mountain Dew or Under Armour or whatever have you. Um, But there's always been this thing of do people actually like rap? When I was in college, uh, Jay-Z came out my freshman year, I think, and his his vibe, that kind of 70s pimp thing that Camp Lowe was doing that Jay-Z kind of started with and then he left. That was more attractive than the raps of certain people. When you watch certain videos, the cars, the jewelry, the girls, the locations, the island, San Tropez, that was more interesting than the raps. So this isn't new. But there is also... Chris, I'll... I'll, I'll, Yeah. (laughs) Just just saying that there's also... There were people that didn't care about that stuff. And they wanted lyrics. There were people who wanted artistry. There were people that wanted to feel it in their heart. And you had people like Micah Nine, where him and Freestyle Fellowship were on TV with Daddy-O back, I don't know how many years ago. <laughs> yeah. But 
he went left with it so that most people couldn't relate. Most people, you had to really love hip hop to get into AC Alone and Mike and Nine and some of those folks. They didn't have the jewelry. They didn't have the clothing that made it seem cool. They didn't have the fancy cars. And that didn't work for some people. So that has been used for a long time. I'm just wondering now if you are a fan of more than the jewelry, if you're a fan of more than the latex outfits and more than the designer wear, if you're anti-capitalist like me, if you're anti-consumerist like me, if you're saying we should be owners of the products we make, who do you do now? There's a fascinating thing about Jay, to jump in on that. Jay is like, he does that, that, that Brer Rabbit trick really well with like, his bars are amazing about very opulent, ridiculous things. So, like, if you listen to, like, I can't remember when Reasonable Doubt came out, Chris. 22 twos. Loved it. Bars, right? But if you break down what he's talking about... It's insane. And yeah. you're like, and you look at it as a, as a song, and you look at it physically, like, okay, what is he rapping about physically? What are the objects, what are the things that are being discussed in this song? It's all, like, seven-figure lifestyle stuff. It's crazy. Exactly. And, and, and what he also, you're so 100% dead on. The other thing he does well is remain clever even when he's dumbed the bars down. How do you do that? Big Pimpin. It's a song about the commodification of prostitution. <laughs> Absolutely. But at the same time, the bars are incredible. Exactly. I'm teaching yeah. a hip hop anthropology class now at um, California State University. And yes. it's fixed. And we just getting started. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I got Pete Rock and Just Blaze and all these people coming in, and they're and, you know these are friends. So I'm in a safe space. Like, yeah. don't make me lose my job, y'all. Um, <laughs> it's it's interesting explaining. What I did was start with Kendrick Lamar, hometown hero in LA, right? And then work yeah. backwards. Let me explain to you how you got Kendrick Lamar. Let's climb this this hip hop family tree, and let me explain to you how we got here. The class is actually called Bridging the Generational Gap in Hip Hop. And some of the things that they're hearing, their faces are like, what? Like, yeah, yeah, these were things and somebody snuffed it out. But yeah, these people were actually able to say clown things successfully. The, the, right. the hardest part, <laughs> yeah, the, the hardest part right now in hip hop to me is teaching the youth how to understand that the value is in advocacy because once you because the, the the things you earn from it create that culture like rappers didn't start wearing suits until they could make five figures a show because there was no reason to there was literally no reason to it's like okay well if I'm making $175 a show, I'm not going to wear a $5,000 suit. But if I'm making $25,000 a show, then a $5,000 suit is really a drop in the bucket. So we're going to class it up. We're going to, you know, like change the presentation up. And then that's the same thing that goes for gold chains to platinum jewelry. The same thing that goes from, you know, wearing Sholto Adidas to wearing, in, you know, $200 Nike sneakers. Mm -hmm. so on and so forth now to, to get to the one of the questions that you, you brought up of in terms of this next generation 
and I think both Sky and Marcus, like both of y'all seem like you work in education in Brooklyn. I'm not sure what you do, but um, having having access to young people as a curator, at a certain point, you take the loss. And so there are artists I could book who I know will sell tickets, but they say crazy stuff, so I don't book them. And I tell them when they send me their stuff, I do a festival every year with over 150 independent artists. And what I get every year is people who hear the festival and they're like, oh, festival, send them my stuff. And in the hook, it's talking negative about women. It's talking about shooting other black people. And I'm like, yo, I'm not going to book you. And they're like, yo, but I got 15,000 Instagram followers. You know who I don't want to show up at my show? A whole bunch Your of people. Cool. Yeah, to disrespect women and disrespect black people. But that means my show don't sell as much. And so when we're dealing in a capitalist world and we know that most people are motivated by dollars, we shouldn't be surprised when we see what they have to do to accommodate that. But at a certain point, we got to tell young folks it's not always about money. There's something more important than money, whether it's your pride, whether it's your culture, whether it's your family, whether it's how you view hip hop, whether it's history, whether it's your little brother or your little sister. I don't whatever it is. There got to be something more important than money so that you'll tell people no. And you'll you'll support people that don't have the followers, but have the message so that they can build the followers. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Yes. I'm with you. And I and I, I will tell you now that the artists that I find that I break on the wake up show sometimes may have five followers. I don't care. Can you spit? That's the only but people are like, well, what's the requirement to get on the show? Be dope. What does that mean? You have to ask me then where you were already in. Circle this back to women. The thing that fascinates me the most is the conversation now that women have to have entering the game. It's like, how large do my breasts really have to be? And and, and when when you think about that idea as compared to like, how hard do I have to rap? Again, it's the one great saving grace of this entire conversation is that Megan Thee Stallion can go and looks the way that she looks so it's almost unfair and it's set the bar thinking about the future of this conversation it's set the bar at a place where we have this wonderful car accident of sorts of commerce and sexual and raw sexuality that has fundamentally altered the game for women because if you're not able to do both of those things at 125%, just like Megan does every day, yes. then it, it, it fundamentally changes everything. Because and if you try to be an underground artist about it, can you rap better than No Name and Rhapsody? Who all of the pretty girls, pretty girls in quotes, know mm-hmm. that they can point at and advocate for tomorrow and nobody would be mad. Well, <laughs> that's an interesting... You know what, I mean, I like Marcus, before, I've got before, a girl... Girl in Philly, who can do all of that, and 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 she she's I'd say it's like finding my own little we can present, whether it's as men, as women, as non-gender binary, this concept of womanness is is something that I think has been limited by what men expect out of women, right? And so there are, there are so many women who rap, who are talented at rapping, who have a marketing plan, but some dude in the office doesn't understand, doesn't see the vision, because that's not how they view women. 
they view women in this idea of this is what I need you to be. And if Absolutely. you can change these things, then we'll help put you on. Uh, and 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 I think it's amazing to see the, that variety of experience. I Women make up over half the human population. Imagine how much more informed I'd be about the experience of humans if there were more women rapping about their experiences, not yeah, having yeah. to be not having to suit what men think is important, but where they get to tell the life of women. I, I want, I need more of that. But I, you know, I, I think as an artist, that's been exciting that there's room, there's space. It's not like we've exhausted all the possibilities. And there are dope women like Sky. You got homies in Philly. My homegirl Mercy Big Body Benz will slay everybody. It's not a thing about oh she's right. dope for a woman. No, 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 she's dope. But I also want to recognize. As a woman, she will. Anyone who thinks women can't rap, I want to bring her to you. And I want you to meet Dominique London. So we dead. Oh, Dominique London! I know who we're talking about. Oh yes, yes, yes. yes. Both incredible. I think both incredible. Um, Shaw Bigger and Sididi out of New York City are special. You know, and to build off that, that I, I never want to say that there aren't women doing the thing, right? I, it's just like sometimes people are like, well, black people don't have power. No, black people got power, but we got to understand the history of white supremacy. So I, I never want to deny the presence of the women that do the thing when we are saying that they've been marginalized, you know? Um, but I, this conversation got me hyped. Y'all, y'all got No, it, it is, it is, I'm, I'm glad it does because I think you, you brought up something that I feel like has been a struggle and Brooklyn, you're being quiet. I would love for you to hear from you on yes, this perspective. Yes. Because we've had a conversation offline about this, right? What, at some point by being sort of a proclaimed sort of lyricist, right? As, as a woman and the optics of what that looks like, there, there are certain spaces I think that you are, you can exist in or certain avenues that you can walk in when you can perform where we talk about Merce body bends. Like I, I rapped with Merce. I, you know, I know how, what her skill set is in regards to that though, someone who may be starting, may not have that sort of level of, of, of ability and what that looks like for them, what their journey is as a, as a woman in the space where you may not feel as comfortable to sort of grow or scale your skills um, because you're sort of, you know, sort of shielded off. Brooklyn, you want to talk about that a little bit? I know we talked about bars and and lyricism from a very granular yeah. level. I feel like I'm learning from y'all, honestly. I'm just like taking my notes. I'm like, okay, word, that's what y'all need? Okay, word. I'm all about I'm all about just learning. I'm all about just listening. I'm, I'm a, I don't talk very much, that's true, because I'm just listening to what y'all saying. I think y'all have like really valid points and it, it's perspective that uh, is needed. I think in terms of as a woman in the hip hop game, I think everything is seen behind doors as you develop that. I, I, I bet you, Megan, Megan, right? I bet her it took her a while to get to that, to get to that confidence, to one, be, harness that feminine energy because that is powerful. Second, to, to not be on, I have to be masculine. I have to change myself in order to appeal to everything. Uh, and also uh, owning her sexuality and all that. So I definitely look up to women like 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 Megan. I look up to women like, uh, even to to an extent, Cardi B. Because I, uh, I, I genuinely feel that these women are making, in their own way, a way for a new wave of women to come through. 
So the space is your men are starting to get used to the idea of, yes, women are here. Women will not leave. Women are in the game and, and it's going to be a snowball. And yes, we do see a lot of artists coming out. Some will stay, some will go. And I think at the end of the day, good music will definitely pull out whether you're a man or a woman. And I think that's why I've had such a great experience within music thus far, because I feel like men, no matter what, will respect when a woman is like, here I am type shit. There's nothing to not respect. There's nothing to not see. Women will own it just like when men own own it. And, and I think when it comes to music, I think that's why I see this whole kind of transition of music coming about where it doesn't matter anymore whether you're a woman or a man it just matters whether you got bars or not i think it's still coming i think it boils down to the same basics as as y'all say it always boils down to that because many of y'all don't fuck with cardi b because y'all say she don't got the bars that's subjective right for me i think that's subjective some somebody's looking up to her and being like damn yo shorty from the bronx that looks like me out here doing it I can fucking do it too. So I think like, even though we, we see certain individuals and we see them hyping up certain things, yes, that's the route that they decided to go. But that also is in a way clearing out way for more women to come through. And I truly believe that. I think ultimately like- The first I think problem that's we have- before you, before you go, Sky, I just wanna, we're, I wanna wrap it up because I wanna be respectful of you guys' time. So please, I saw your face doing a lot of, of things in this. I, <laughs> please. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think can we you go a little bit over though because y'all yeah, you just yes, yeah i think i think this is where it's such a great conversation but your face was in many ways i was feeling the same way i think um right if some I, i'll say so, sort of in my perspective mm-hmm. i always think as being a woman stepping into a space right i've been rapping since i was about 13 right going going into a space and having people will use me as a barometer for their own sort of experience to say if you don't rap like prowess then i don't acknowledge you as being skillful if you don't rap like prowess there's not a i have a qualitative measure in my friend my friend population right that says this is what this is this sounds similar to you know gene gray rhapsody block the the these sort of uh, you know prototypes i think that people started these personas that people started to put on things so how does that what are we really past the point where Women are not, we're, we're just recognized for being, for spinning bars. Why is Saw Rock not, you know, at, at a different level? Why is she not at, in a space with, you know, beyond where she is? I think even men are still getting to that point. We know Black Thought is just being acknowledged um, for, you know, decades and decades of craft of craftsmanship in this space. So are we really sort of post gender? You know, are we in that yeah. space? Sky, you, you look like you were about to get into it. So. <laughs> No, I just think that the funniest thing with these men who make these decisions, like, (laughs) never seem to take into account who is the number one consumer of all hip-hop music. Right. Women. Exactly. So you want them to spit for men who are just gonna get the music from their homeboy anyway and not pay for it. This is what we're saying. This is what we're doing. This is what we're talking about. And now y'all gonna get me in trouble. <laughs> it's facts, facts. It's just the truth. Men don't even pay for hip hop music. Women do. So why is it that we are no longer giving them empowering messages of overcoming? Oh. Think about this. Think about oh. this. What are you h
I'll say there's yeah. something to it. There's you something. Know, that's gonna sound like this. <laughs> uh, I want to say that there's something to the effect of a trickle down that could easily occur when we end up at a place where there is a black female president, which could happen in the next four to eight years. Uh, that's my thought. That's my. That is my one thing that I always think about when I look at Stacey Abrams. When I see Kamala Harris in office. When I look and I see Alexandria Ocasio Cortez and Ilhan Omar and all of these amazing politicians, uh, Lauren Underwood, I see all these people who are there and emerging, and I go, the second that they get into office, every single female black woman who can rap is going to have something to say. And because the, the, the person who has achieved the greatest achievement you can achieve as an American citizen happens to be a black woman, and rap is black music at its core initially. There's something that could change the entire conversation there. And also given the fact that and also given the fact that Megan and Cardi literally put streaming on its head and spun it around last year. So there's a lot to the idea that we are at the cusp of the very thing that we're talking about. And it's it's going to take a moment that causes fundamental sea change in the way that we look at our nation's history. And because because we have fundamental sea changes the way we look at history, that trickles down to our everyday lives and the way in which we relate within gender and race. You you bring up an interesting kind of idea of how is representation in space occupied, right? And so I'm not a fan of Megan, Cardi, any any of most of the rappers on radio. I, and I've been rapping so long, I don't care if you know how to rap well. That's part of it. <laughs> I'm not impressed. I, I sat in I front love it. of it. I love it. You know, I, I literally have been however far away and saw Method Man, Snoop, Jay-Z, uh, Mike and Nine, Bus Driver, you name whatever type of rapper, I was close enough where I saw him rap and was like, oh, Karis One was like right there, like, oh, my goodness, this is nuts. And I've seen so many women who rap where I'm like, bars, like, oh, my face is melting while this is happening. That just knowing how to rap well isn't enough. It's the content. It's the meaning for me. And I learn from music. I'm affected by it. I'm not one of those adults that thinks I'm not a sponge anymore. So I can't take in a whole lot of consumerist rap. I can't take in a whole lot of uh, my physicality is the most important thing. Um, I, I'm really into rap as a communication of culture and the griot tradition. Now, the, the conflict I have is I spend no time ever talking trash about Cardi B or Megan Thee Stallion on the internet because it's like it's like back in the 70s when Good Times was on and All in the Family and uh, the Jeffersons. There were black people who were like, those are bad images of blackness. There were other black people who said, we getting paid. We are now in the writer's room. You're seeing black people's lives on TV. And that will make the way for the Cosby show, which makes the way for Dave Chappelle, which makes the way for the next generation. So it's a it's an interesting thing in how to celebrate what is and and the, the strides we've made, but don't give up. And to know there's more. And so I love your attitude, Brooklyn. You remind me of my homies who like, race doesn't stop me. I don't care about what. And then they end up in the offices and they're like, how come I'm the only black person here? But they don't let it stop them. They, 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 the young people have this sense of like, it don't matter if you white or black, we all listen to the same thing. Then you up in them offices and you start saying, oh, somebody here cares about white or black, but you don't let it stop you, right? It's not a thing to where then being a woman, an, an inhibitor, 
and and you have that confidence. I really appreciate your attitude, Brooklyn, of being like, yo, if I'm dope, you got to recognize it. I'm not going to let you not recognize yeah. it. I love that attitude. Now we got to make sure these people in the offices start recognizing that. We got to make sure these people who make the checks, who live over in France, who are international. Look look at who's buying up everyone's catalog. It's a British company who bought up no idea. Hypnosis, yeah. Yes. You know, we got to make sure they understand what you're talking about. It's a funny thing that's happening with the young, with the, the teenage, early 20s rappers that are coming up that I've particularly fond of they have an awareness of sexuality as an artifice and not as reality (laughs) like it's a tool to open a door and then they know enough because they want to be different because we've preached different for so long and all of us kind of like you know saw it all the same way but because they're kids and kids see things two-dimensionally when they say oh you have to be different then they just know to be different so the funny thing is they use differences of artifice and then when they get to the point where they have to rap, they all rap very well. Um, there's two rappers I mentioned earlier, Shabig and Sididi. They're out of New York City. And you look at them and you know, like they have like the seven inch long nails and it's all very like over-processed. And then they open their mouths and it's, it's like real bars. And they're like spitting like, they're, like the DJ will cut the beat and they're still going. And they've developed like their own little like, you know, their own little like, you know, 16 bar routines together. And they spit them, they have a little thing on Instagram where they're in a car sitting next to each other like the Blues Brothers and they'll like mm-hmm. rap back and forth and do like all the 80s stuff. And I'm like, that's heartening because yeah. the, the faster that we teach the younger generation that the thing that they're seeing is not what they think they're seeing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. then that changes everything fundamentally. Because then when we get into issues of gender and we get into issues of sex and we get into issues of non-binary and moving deeper into the spectrum, then you can dress however you want to dress because it's all an artifice, it's all a show. But at the core of what you are, you have to be able to do essentially what the defined thing is, which is rap. So you have to be a rapper and you have to be quality at rapping. There's, and, and the sad part is that we have to get over this generation right now, which is kind of like this punk rock thing of like, we're gonna deconstruct what it means to be a good rapper because being a good rapper doesn't necessarily mean that you can drop. Yeah, like we're, we're gonna do halftime bars and we're gonna rap over drill songs and we're gonna do, we're gonna use repetitive, Consonants at the end of every single bar because we want to show yeah. ourselves to be different. And you're like, that's not that what rap is, but I understand your point, so I'm going to let you rock. Right. There's room at the table for everything. It's when you start trying to age people out because they're not your age that it's a problem. When you start trying now that, to say that, yes. you know, I mean, women can't be women can't be over dating. women can't be over thirty, right, Sky? You know that. That's that's where that's yes. Please let's have that conversation. I know we're we've got seven thirty. Yeah, yeah, like minutes. Mazi says we have fifteen minutes. <laughs> <laughs> please, <laughs> please have this conversation Listen, on ages. I mean, no, no, no. nominated for a Grammy is under 35 years old, right? I'm, I'm 35, so I feel like I, I'm the cutoff at this point. Um, you know where I'm no, but no rapper is younger than I am in the in the Grammy nominated category for hip hop. So what does that mean? You know, so what what 
ageism, but with women, I think there is. Marcus, you're on to something. How Sky, how, how many people? Because you're in the room, Sky. Because I used to sit in the room sometimes. Now I left. I'm an old person. And I got tired. Because you get tired. <laughs> of these, people. These, people, these people. These people leave the only hair on my face right here. That's all I know. The only hair on my face right here. So you're still in the room, Sky. Explain to people why a woman over the age of 30 is a dinosaur in hip hop. I don't know why over the age. It's true though, right? I think, well, I think people, men and women over the age of 30 are No, but women especially, but it's women especially. Women, yeah. All men are allowed to rap. because the the idea that once you have a baby, you're not popping no more, is that what we're saying? Or is it, or is it just that, or is it the fact that what your experience changes, and then your narrative as a as a woman over thirty is not the narrative, right? We've seen it. I mean, even on the level of Beyonce, right? Her level, her narratives have changed. She's now a mother, but she is also a grown woman, right? So she's no longer. Beyonce has to has Beyonce has to pole vault over the the, the Great Wall of China in order to be considered <laughs> special. Yeah. Like, when you she- watch the. I feel like she gets up and has that. a bowl of oatmeal in the in the bay hive. It's like, yes, bay, eat your oatmeal, bay, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is it sky you are right that is she does get that pass but i think there's some i mean definitely the narratives have changed and the the stories have changed in the context around what she's speaking about right as responsibility i think now that sort of in that self-actualization stage of her life where i mean where when women get to that space is it any longer is it something that people want to hear and you think about the you talked about the buying audience i mean when you look at the the spotify numbers and you look at it's interesting because the streaming audience though is dominated by men versus the buying audience that looks very different so what is that so the the consumer audience is sort of split right now where you have um that sort of dichotomy happening so how do you where do you exist as a woman over 30 or is there a space or i think that what you should be doing if anybody had any sense they'd be courting gen x and here's why Mm. gen x still likes quality music Gen X still has jobs. Gen X still believes in being loyal freaking fans. And if you are dope, they will pay to see you, purchase your music, and support you as an artist. They invest in you. Instead of these people who like you for five minutes until the new TikTok fans comes up. You know, and, Why and are uh, you courting people who aren't your audience? I don't understand I mean, that. I, I, I wanna I wanna find Erica Banks and put her in a and put her in a in a in a vault. So that she can remember this moment for like the rest of her life, because it's a moment, and I don't know if another one is coming. And I feel like she's like in her mid twenties, so she's like got five years. It's like that Buster Rhymes thing. Got two years left. She's got like five years left. So I just want to put her in a vault and then pull out in ten years, and then explain to her she has five more years to, to go. <laughs> I, mean, I, I feel like in, in general. Yeah, in general, hip hop is changing as it ages, right? Now there are literally 55-year-old rappers, 60-year-old rappers that are trying to put out content. And there will be an audience for it because now they're 50, 60, and 70-year-old listeners. And there just really weren't that many 70-year-old hip hop listeners 30 years ago. But you guys, 30 years ago, hip hop was still in its infancy. In fact, it still kind of is. You have to let it grow up with the people who 
participated to begin with. You couldn't say that in 85 because it wasn't that old. Exactly. It is that old now. So you have to let people grow up. How dare somebody tell Chuck D not to put out music if that's what he so wants to do? That man been fighting the power with us since 87. (laughs) Who is to tell any of these people they shouldn't still put out music? It's insane. Nobody tells Mick Jagger to sit down. Nobody tells Paul McCartney to sit down. But you're going to tell Special Ed he's not allowed to write a new rhyme? Rock is different though because rock's population allows the music to age into to age no, rock's population allows the music to age into the cultural conversation and because hip-hop comes from a place where we never knew that there would be a cultural conversation around hip-hop that music doesn't get to age it doesn't well and and it's, it's also i think different expectations in the sense of what is are you am i really gonna play a 50 cent song about murder when i'm 80 years old so we also gotta think about we gotta think about some of the content being created and confirmation bias right i work with tech companies doing diversity initiatives and one of the issues you already you always run into is how they use data and statistics they'll say internet users are this or that the way things have been are this or that so even when you apply that to music you say the number one selling or number one streaming record was this Let's say it was at a certain point, Jay-Z, and he sold 4 million records that year. There are 7 billion people in the world. Over 90% of the world doesn't give a what about Jay-Z selling 4 million records. But the record labels are like, well, that's the most number of records sold. What about those other 6.9 million, 6.9 billion people that are available and we're not marketing towards them? So if you, put out a, if you put out a 50-year-old woman who rapped and was saying things that appeal to other 40 to 50-year-old women, how many 50-year-old women are there in the world that could appreciate that? Why, how, how do we expect everyone to love what a 25-year-old is saying? How are we expecting 40-year-old rappers to appeal to 17-year-olds? That don't make exactly. any sense. But it it's just kind of AC, 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 hip-hop, rap needs to be a thing. It just really does. Jay Z made four forty four. Listen, and Fonte is doing it for much of his entire career. But. Okay, okay. So funny story. The, the day that I listened to four forty four, I walked down U Street and I got I grabbed a coffee, and I was very mature and listening to this record. And I felt like it was the first time in my life that I felt like I was over the age of forty, oh, wow. and I was perfectly okay with it. Okay. And I like talked to my other mature friends, and I said, "Man, <laughs> that, that record really, you know, it spoke to me with the with the the, the mental health bit and the the investment bit." I'm like, "How are your investments doing?" The Lit- first time I've ever listened to a rap record, and I asked my friend, "How are your investments doing?" All right, all right, all right. Yeah. So when does the visuals match the content, though? I mean, it, I know we're we're we are getting to time, but like, when does the the actual optics of what? Because I, I I love what Jay is saying. But Fonte, right? We, I mean, I mentioned that has been those same narratives. But when do we get to the point that the nar- the narrative is matching the visualization in hip hop that is still very much? I mean, hip hop is a culture, so it's not just right what is being spit. It's also the clothing, it's our artifacts, it's all these other things that go. It's the jewelry that we just. I mean, implanting diamonds in the forehead. Where where do we get to the point oh, no. where grow oh, no, no, up? No, no, no. And what we're right, we're wealth attainment. If that's what we're preaching, the problem with hip hop is that hip hop is the cousin of punk rock and will always reflect a great deal of that level of absurdity as politic. (laughs) 
in the, the, the core essence of what it is. So for every Fonte, there's a little Uzi Vert. For every Jay-Z, there's a little B. Yeah. Somebody has to keep the absurdity around because, God bless it, in, in New York in the late 1970s, hip-hop was happening right next to punk. And so they did this all the time. Mm-hmm. And whatever got spat out into the mainstream was the best of that. Like the Beastie Boys were allowed to rock in their, their tidy whities and their denigrating women for 25 years before they figured it out. Yeah. I mean, totally. but for every, listen, like I keep saying, there was always been room at the table. We need to stop pushing the more seasoned people out. Skilo had a seat at the table, y'all. Yes, like, he did. Young MC was at the table. But Young MC at bars. weren't considered the MC. And well, this it, is where the problem lies. Now, it's funny. I'm going to bring this round a circle because we just said where we, we there's an allowance for this sort of absurdity. But when it comes to women, right, we kind of de- deconstructed this conversation earlier that, I mean, many of us weren't on the, on the side of saying, does that belong in, in hip hop? Should we be allowing over-sexualization, hyper-sexualization? Where, I mean, You're where did, did you see the, did you see the web video? You're calling a bitch. Which, which one, Marcus? <laughs> no, the, the video, the no. video for, the video for what? The video for wet ass pussy. Oh, yes. Okay, so speak it's on It's absurd. It. It's completely absurd. <laughs> Everything about it. The new Cardi B video for Up. Completely mm-hmm. absurd. Completely yes. ridiculous. She, you know, she's, she's in six, she has 16 different wardrobe changes in two minutes and 50 seconds. Mm. To, to kind of piggyback off some of what Sky is saying, though, is if we have room for the absurdity, absurdity why don't we have room for the more Mark. rooted, grounded, and a reflection of actual people in our society, right? If, if we are able to understand all these other elements, there used to be, and I'm not saying anything was better or worse, but there used to be at the same time as Native Tongues, there was Schoolie D. At the same time as NWA, you had Ice Cube working with Bomb Squad when he did his first solo record. Right? Everybody, Chris, everybody was friends. They were all friends. Like the, the Native yeah. Tongues were geniuses because in the same clique that you had a tribe called Quest, you had the Black Sheep. The Black Sheep's a Wolf and Sheep's Clothing is a sex record. It just is. It's a dirty, filthy, disgusting sex record with two pop singles. Right. And it exists at the exact same time that A Tribe Called Quest are doing, you know, um... Scenario. Scenario and all those records. Got them. Yeah, you know, so so I'm saying that to say this, that like, Instead of the argument for me of saying Cardi B or Megan Stallion shouldn't be over-sexualized, what I'm saying is in the reality, there are women that view sexuality as an expression of power. The other women that want to have the power to say, I never want to have to sexualize myself. And they should also be in the space as well. But, and so I would never say, don't let Cardi B be Cardi B, but I would say, let no name get that same platform. Let Rapidly get that platform. And that's all I'm saying. That's who really don't expose important. themselves also get that platform. And so I'm not here to tell what women shouldn't be doing or should be doing. What I'm saying, though, is I'm not seeing the breadth of womanness. I'm not seeing the totality of womanness. And I would love to see more of it in hip hop. Can we, can we, I, I, I know we are right at the end, but I just, uh, Flex had a burning question around sort of Snoop recently had this, I think, sort of uh, realization 
later on about how misogynoir his music was and the narratives that he was doing much younger right now having a daughter and and the responsibility that he has now as a as a father but also as a as a creator of hip-hop that maybe is it you know i should be apologizing for for these types of narratives i put out what's your your responses to to is it too late for the apology how you know the formulation of of that sound and that aesthetic where do we go here like really you got 40 something and had that revelation <laughs> yeah, that was, that was like I'm when you did this. I'm not listening to that. I don't pay that any attention. Like, <laughs> he rolled something up and had this like epiphany. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> when, when Snoop did the Snoop Lion thing, he realized like, yo, I want to go to the White House and meet Barack Obama. All right, I'm gonna have to do something that's for the kids, so the people stop thinking I'm a gang member. I was crit walking for however many decades, and I, all that marketing stuff goes right by me, man. I don't, yeah. yeah I'm, not, I'm not worried about you hanging out with Martha Stewart now, and suddenly you want to get right. I'll say this about Snoop: the thing, the funny thing with Snoop is that Snoop has learned how to monetize every, and monetize the reverse of every aspect of himself that was problematic. Right. Yeah. Three decades ago, and it's three decades ago, by the way. Anybody who's my age on this call feel that it's three decades ago. Right. Doggy Style came out in '92. Stop that. Stop that. First of all, I'm just, <laughs> saying, I'm just saying. But anyway, so the thing about Snoop is that, and every great, and it's funny because they learn from all the rock guys because he's you know toured and done this for years, and mm-hmm. Willie Nelson and all these people. So it's like you take everything about yourself that was problematic. And then you just work backwards from it to the point where you're safe and sanitized on this end. You're hosting Joker's Wild Man. Yeah, but, that, that, but that's only because you've you've turned your entire arc into a lampoon. It's like, oh, ha, 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 ha. Yeah. <laughs> what was the last Snoop song that you recall here? Uh, I Wanna Rock, and that was Smile. 12 years ago. Yeah, that was, yeah. So, well, that that probably answers the question. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Thank you all so much. I this conversation went way beyond. I saw Mozzie noted that this really does deserve a part two, um, and we can get schedules to align again. This was really interesting and dynamic, and definitely explored a lot of the conversations. I feel like we went so many places. Um, beyond just sort of constricting this to gender and safe spaces. So thank you all for your expertise, your insights, and for sharing it with us. Um, Thank you to Words, Beats, and Life for curating and and Flex for for producing this beautiful show. And I'm looking forward to seeing more. Thank you all again. Again, you can tap into this experience and more at Words, Beats, and Life, www.wblinc.org. Thank you so much again. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for having us. This podcast was produced by Executive Director Mazi Mutafa. Post production by Rhythm Lingo Music. Past episodes can be streamed on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Mixcloud. Words, Beats, and Life podcasts are produced through funding from partner grants and in-kind donations from people like you. Visit wblinc.org slash donate to make a contribution.